Last week, we talked about the law of attraction, and we really, I think, hopefully hit home the idea that the degree to which we claim our good in this world, the way that we picture the sweetness of life, the way in which we can hold on to the ideas and the thoughts and the pictures and the feelings and the sense of what we want to experience in the world, the degree to which we can just hold on to that and love it up, kaboink, so to speak, it will be in our life. That's, that's, a, that's a real official term for the power of God. It's called kaboink. <laughs> okay, so what if I were to tell you, if that was the law of attraction, that there's one more element around making sure that we can really experience this goodness in our life. We call it the law of mental acceptance, and I'm going to start out, as I mentioned a, a second ago, kind of at the low point. Because the truth is, we can use absolutely the law of attraction to usher in some goodness in our life. So that, so that good starts kind of coming out of the walls at it. Whether it's love, whether it's joy, whether it's success at work. We can have it set up using the law of attraction so that these things will appear in our life. That's the good news. And the bad news is... We can keep it at arm's length. And so when I talk about the law of mental acceptance, what I'm suggesting is that we have the tendency, we have the tendency to not accept our good. This is the bad news part of the story. And in fact, a lot of the people um, who, who are familiar with mathematics may have even heard of this term called set theory, the idea being that we have limits or we have a set amount of what we can enjoy on this planet, whether it's a set amount of love, whether it's a set amount of success at work, whether it's a set amount of money in our bank account, whether it's a set amount of joy. And, uh, and Catherine Ponder, we're, we're using this great book of Catherine Ponder's this week. Here's how she phrases it. She says, and I, when I initially read this, I went, oh no. <laughs> and, and I think you'll see why. She says, when people first learn that the power of thought is a means of obtaining greater good in their life, they try to rush into a demonstration that they cannot mentally accept. Even when they demonstrate their desires temporarily, they cannot maintain the demonstration because they have not developed the mental acceptance of greater good. So when I read that, it kind of made me a little bit fighting mad. And I was trying to, uh, you know me and the internet, I thought, well, let's see if I can prove that she's just wrong, because I would rather not believe that. I would rather believe that there's always more room for good in my life and that I don't have these set points. But you know what? The more I investigated it on the internet, she's right. And I brought just two of many, many studies that I found on the internet. So this one has to do with happiness. It was first published in the New York Magazine. Money doesn't buy happiness once our basic needs are met. In one well-known survey, Ed Diner of the University of Illinois determined that those on the Forbes 100 list were no happier than the American public as a whole. Now think about this. These are the millionaires. These are the, the people running the Forbes 100 list of biggest, most important countries in the United States. Certainly they, with their ability to command wealth and power and, and substance and things like that, clearly would be happier than Americans as a whole. 
not so. An even more famous study in 1978, a group of researchers determined that lottery winners were no happier than a control group of people who had won nothing. (laughs) And finally, this whole article is summed up this way. As a general rule, human beings adapt quickly to their circumstances because we have set points to which our emotional bodies are likely to return. And this is true whether our experiences are marvelous, like winning the lottery, or shattering. And so what they're saying here is, naturally we will have kind of a a set of limits for, this article was on happiness, but I think this applies to others, a set of limits beyond which if, if we're unhappy down here, we'll do pretty much everything we can to rise up to this comfort zone of happiness in our life. But you know what? It works the other way. If things and people and places and things come to us that would tend to move us past our set point on the top, we will actually and actively work to be less happy. And if you think it's true for happiness, here's another study that shows it works the same way for success and income. This, uh, this research firm reviewed somewhere between 200,000 and 250,000 personal and corporate tax returns. What they noticed in almost all cases, and this is where, that what they did was they compared a small business and its tax return to then the personal one uh, of the person who owned the company. So what they noticed in almost all cases was that the personal and business income was largely static over many years. After giving this subject some real thought, the truth is that these business owners are stuck at a specific income that only varied in a narrow range. Time and time again, we would see increases in the gross company income, but little increase in the net profit personal draw, and take-home pay. And in fact, uh, so then he went and examined in more detail some of these companies, and what they found was that they often would enter into a steady bleed-off of profitable cash flows by poor cost controls and bad decisions. So when the company was doing really well, people would make bad, the owners typically would make bad decisions that would bring it back down to a level of comfort with their own income. Okay, so uh, I would like to suggest we've now hit bottom in my talk today, and, and we'll, we'll, we'll move up from here. Yeah, I know. Thank you. Thank you for applauding that. But I think, this, I think this is kind of important, because what it tells us, if we don't pay attention, right, we're not apt to get happier. If we don't pay attention, we're not apt to earn more, even though we're maybe working harder, even though we maybe hire a consultant or whatever we might do in our business. If we we don't take stock of our own thoughts and our own ability to move this set point, all of our best efforts may come to naught. And of course, a lot of this self-sabotage is completely at a subconscious level. So you're not even, it's not like you would set out to make a bad decision just because your company was doing particular well. Okay, so, uh, so if this idea of set uh, numbers is, is interesting to you, um, here's my joke for today. <laughs> that'll, that'll help move us up a little bit, I think. And it's on set numbers too, the idea of speed limits. So sitting on the side of the highway waiting to catch speeding drivers, a state police officer sees a car puttering along at 26 miles an hour. 
Well, he thinks to himself, you know, the driver is just as dangerous as a speeder. So he turns on his lights and pulls the driver over. Approaching the car, he notices that there are five people inside, two in the front seat, three in the back. They're all wide-eyed and white as ghosts. The driver is squinting through myopic, thick glasses. (laughs) So the driver, a bit confused, says to him, Officer, I don't understand. I was going exactly the speed limit. What seems to be the problem? The officer replied, Well, you weren't speeding, but you should know that that driving slower than the speed limit can also be a danger to the drivers. Slower than the speed limit? No way. I was doing the speed limit exactly 26 miles an hour. The state officer finally contains a chuckle and explains to him that the 26 on the highway was the number for the road, the Sunset Highway, and not the speed limit. Well, of course, the guy's horribly embarrassed, and so the fellow grinned and thanked the officer uh, for pointing out the error. But before I go, said the officer, i got to ask, is everything okay? The people in the car look awfully shaken, and they haven't muttered a single peep this whole time. Oh, well, said the driver, they'll probably be okay in a few minutes, because uh, according to your figuring, we just pulled off of Highway 99. Okay, so if those, I know it takes a while for some of us, yes. <laughs> so, so if these are our limits, if we have limits on our goodness, and think of it maybe as the speedometer on our car, if 26 is way too low to be driving, and 99 is way too much to be driving, how can we move these set points? How can we manipulate them? Well, Catherine Ponder says there's two ways to do this, and you really kind of have to do them both, or you're not going to have as much success. The first one, she says, is you have to release the past. You have to release what you believe to be true about your goodness today. Whether it's happiness, whether it's success, whether it's uh, joy in your families, whether it's uh, money in your bank account, You have to be a little bit dissatisfied, maybe, with what used to make you satisfied. Do you know what I mean? Because if your comfort level says, I'm perfectly comfortable, I'm perfectly happy with the way things are right now, and you may be even giving yourself some evidence why it's okay, we're we're doing fine, then what incentive does the universe have to respond to kind of wishful, hopeful thinking about, well, I kind of wished I had more money. I, I would be hoping to have a life partner now in my life, to have more love in my life. I, I kind of would wish that. And so, so, so there's that idea that you want more. You want to experience more good, more life, more love, more money, whatever it is. But if at the same time, you're kind of holding on to the, what is right now in your life is as good as it gets, is as best I can do, is we'll make do with what we have. Do you know those, those kind of rationales that we say? I got to tell you, you're keeping it at the door. The universe will recognize the power of attraction you're trying to put in motion by your wishes and your desires, and it'll get right up to your door, and it'll just sit there, because you're accepting what you've always accepted. You've made it okay in your own mind to make do with less, to minimize your wants and your needs, to, to be driving the 26 miles an hour, right? 
So first up, we got to let go of that. We have to release ideas like money brings trouble, money's shameful, rich people are snobby. We have to release ideas like relationships are hard or dating is a mess. We have to give up the idea that you have to struggle to get money and struggle even harder to keep it. We need to be able to look beyond the idea that I'll never earn as much as my parents or, or I'm beyond the years of peak earnings or you know whatever, whatever you have said to yourself to make where you are right now okay, if you want to be beyond this, whether it's in love or success, whether it's in money or in joy, you have to let go of the ideas that are keeping you right there. I remember I was working with someone on the uh, idea of abundance as a kind of a personal counseling thing uh, when I was a practitioner for a few times. And what I realized was she thought that there was something wrong with rich, rich people. First of all, she had an idea of kind of what a rich person was, right? And, and kind of lived in a nice house and never gave to charity and was kind of mean to their kid, cold. And I, I mean, I don't, and, and, and I'm sure there are rich people like that, don't get me wrong. But there was this idea of what a rich person was like. Oh, the other idea I remember that she had was they probably didn't get all that money honestly. There was probably some cheating on the income taxes or something going on there. And finally, it struck me one day. I said, you don't actually like rich people, do you? And she said, oh my gosh, no. <laughs> well, not a very nice practitioner me. I came right back to her and I said, well, then why would you want to be one? Think about it. If we want to be able to receive more good in our lives, we can't be putting it down. We can't look at it out amongst other people and say, you know, they got their good in a shady way, right? They're, do you know what I mean? And yet we do that kind of thing all the time to try to make where we are somehow okay or more better. The other thing, and this, uh, this, little, uh, this other little thing, I think is even more troublesome and that is we have to be willing to give up some of the pride that we have around managing with not much. Have you heard people say things like this? I feel good about how I handle adversity. I pride myself on getting out of financial trouble. I'm good at making do with nothing. I feel a deep personal satisfaction when I really resolve some problems. I enjoy the process of making up after a good fight. <laughs> think, think, think about, but think about these statements. If we hold all of those statements closely to us, what's going to happen? I feel good about handling adversity. Well, in order to feel good, I'm going to always have adversity. If I have pride around getting myself out of financial trouble... I'm going to have financial trouble so that I can feel some pride. If I enjoy the process of making up after a good fight, unfortunately, <laughs> right, do we want the good fight? Only you can answer these questions, but it's important that you do so. I also canceled someone a, a few years ago someone that I cared for a great deal. She was on a, a social security. That was her only means of income. Um, she was close to, close to 75 years old. 
and she was really worried about getting kicked out of her apartment. And so we were talking about, you know, how can someone on a so-called fixed income, how can they manifest more good in their lives? And what I realized after talking to to her for a while was that I was not going to be able to have much of an impact because the line of her reasoning was, I'm so good at making do with nothing. I know that though because I'm living in poverty, I have to cut coupons and I have to shop at the St. Vincent de Paul store, you know, because the, the only reason I'm existing at all is because I know how to live well in the midst of poverty. And this was really well ingrained in her. And I think at her age, she had even lived as a child through the Great Depression. And so, so some of those ideas and thoughts of really how you have to hunker down and really, you know, like move into that place of smallness and kind of scrabbling for your good. And that was such a part of her life that I was really no, uh, and I am a great practitioner, by the way, but, but there, well, I am, I mean, you know. But what was sad to me was there really was an inability in her to receive more because her whole life had been, uh, her whole well-being was on the sense of making good with nothing. And so it was the nothing that she was drawing to her so that she could feel in control of her life. We cannot afford to have such mechanisms of control in our life. We have to be willing to give up even those things that give us some gratification, even that give us some pride. My mom was one of those coupon cutters, and and one day I I said to my mom, you know, I think we're spending as much uh, gasoline driving around to different stores (laughs) to pick up the coupons than what we make from the 20 cents off and the 50 cents off. You know, let's let go of the poverty, you know, the poverty consciousness here. You know, does it make sense to be watching your pennies in the sense of using them to show how little we have and how you're surviving successfully on it? There needs to be the place of expansive thinking, and we need to let go of those thoughts in order to get there. Okay, part two of what Catherine Ponder says, and this is the good part, this is the juice. It's like the getting rid of the old ways may present us some difficulty. I will admit that. But we need to be good stewards uh, of this set point. We need to be able to move up by getting rid of the past because what set those set points is the past, right? What has created our ability to only see good within this range is that's the good that we've received so far. And all of our habits, all of our ways of being in the world are around recognizing our level of happiness is right here, or recognizing that our income is right here, and we have made do with it. We've even cherished it because for most of us it's been a fine amount. But if we want to break through that, we have to break through these ideas from the past. And then what Catherine Ponder says is fantastic. She says the good news is from then on all you have to do is dream. Because the second part of this is simply dreaming of our good in a palpable way. Once we've gotten rid of the things that have limited us, it is that magical moment of simply, almost like fantasizing, if you will, but in a, in a kind of specific way. But it's fantasizing, it's dreaming, it's conjuring up pictures of what our lives would be the way we want them. 
And here she's real specific, though, because a lot of times you ask, well, what's your dream? People will just say, well, it's to be happy. Or what's your dream? Well, it's to be a millionaire. Or what's your dream? It's to really be successful in business. And then you might ask them, well, and what's that like? And they'd go, uh, um, well, I don't know. You know, happy. <laughs> well, the trouble is, happiness is different for everybody. So is success. So is, a, so is what you earn. What is the, so is the amount of love in your life. Everybody has a different way of approaching life. And so for the universe to respond to give you what you really want, you have to know what it is. You have to know what love looks like in your life. So, so when you're dreaming, when you're conjuring up this picture of life as you really would like to live it, you know, flesh it out. What does the happiness look like? Is it, is it around family and spending more time with your kids? Is, you know, what is success like? Is it your, your, your business has expanded to where you have you know, 50 employees? You know, what is success? What is happiness? What is joy for you? And then, if that only defines the amount of joy, the amount of happiness, and the amount of love you can take right now, then amp it up. You know, we want the set points to go up and up. So, so don't think beyond what makes you happy right now. Imagine what would make you even happier yet. You know, put the dreams out there. Make them big. Make them joyous. Make them wonderful. And have some specificity about it, Right? You know, what would the love really look like? Um, people maybe who haven't been in a relationship for a while will come to me a little fearfully and say, would you help me with this idea, you know, of dating? And, and it's like the idea of bringing someone into my life. And, and I said, well, really this is about love. It's less about the who and the how, and it's more about love. What does love mean to you? If you want to draw the perfect person into your life, it has to be about what this loving relationship is like. Otherwise, you'll, you'll get someone that looks about right and, and acts about right some of the time anyway. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? But, but is the love right? So what is love to you? These are all the questions that you need to ask so that God can rush in. And when you have gotten rid of the old set points, when you have released the old ideas that are limiting you to only experiencing so much love, so much good, so much success, and then your dream is bigger, your dream is, is filled with the ideas and the feelings and the thoughts. And the, in, fact, in fact, what would your day look like if you had everything that you wanted? If your heart's desire was yours right now, what would your day be like? <laughs> this is a good place to start. What would breakfast be like? Where, you know, what would your living situation be like? Laurent and I were comparing notes during the first service, and we asked each other, are you sure we'd be here today? If we <laughs> <laughs> and, and these are, do you know what I mean? These are valid questions. These are valid questions. If your life was at its highest and its best, what would it be like? And put some flesh around it. Put some real intentions around it. This is what I'm going to live. This is my life now. Claim it as though it were already yours because this is what activates the universe. This is what God says, all right then, let's just get to this. So I'm going to close with a, a quote, another quote from uh, 
from Catherine Ponder. She says, begin now to recognize that another set of circumstances and events is possible in your own life, right? It's possible to change these set points to be higher. Another set of circumstances and events is possible in your own life, and if you really are ready mentally and emotionally to accept greater good, it will come to you soon. And once it starts, it will not end. So we've been closing out our, uh, our Sundays this week with this, uh, this little affirmation that we've been doing as a group. So I'm going to read a line of it, and I'd like you to repeat it back to me if you would. Good and more good is mine. Good and ever-increasing good is mine. There is no limit to the good which is mine. Everywhere I go, I see this good. I feel it, I experience it. It crowds itself against me. It flows through me. It expresses itself in me. And it multiplies itself around me. Good and more good is mine. Let us pray. There is one power. There is one presence in this universe. It is thing, this thing that I call God. And what I know about God is that it is the infinite variety of the universe. It is every possible good. It is the sweetness, the love, the life, the abundance, the comfort, the joy. It is all good. This is God. And because God is everywhere present, I know it takes the form of each person in this room as well. I know and I internalize for my own self that God's good is my good and that it is God's good pleasure to give me the keys of the kingdom. And so for myself, I know that these set points are ever increasing, that my ability to be happy, that my ability to to feel that expansiveness of God, that love, that life, even that, that material abundance like a bank account, I know they are simply on the rise and that I release anything that might stand in the way of me receiving this good, of being able to accept more love and more life in my life. And as this is true for me, I know it is true for each person in this room, that each person here now has the knowledge and the willingness to let go of things that may be keeping good at their door rather than inviting it in. And I likewise know that the creativity and the imaginations and the intuitions of every person in this room are at work creating that picture of a life full of happiness, full of love, full of, fill, uh, full of that ability to, to give and receive with that, um, that unbridled sense of love in the world. This is what I choose for each person in this room. And I'm simply grateful for that. I'm simply grateful for the awareness of God as it takes the form of abundance, and the awareness of God as it takes the form of the mental creativity to claim and accept it. And so I just let it be, and so it is. So it is. Thank you very much for being here today. Thank you. Thanks so much.